0: Matt Boudreaux.
1: Thanks, Chuck. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the Working Class Audio Podcast. This is session 411. You're listening to 411. That is difficult to say. That doesn't roll off the tongue. Nonetheless, it is 411. My guest today is engineer mixer James Fluff Harley, based in Los Angeles, who's worked with many people, including Korn, Prince, and Yumi Matsutoya. We have a great conversation, and I can't wait for you to hear it. So, James Fluff Harley coming up here on the Working Class Audio Podcast. Grab your coffee cups, friends. Let's talk about making lists. Well, that doesn't sound like any fun, Matt. Come on. Lists, is that all you got? That's what I got today. And I think it's important, and I'm going to tell you why. So I've talked about atomic habits in the past. I'm not going to wax poetic about that because I think i burnt you all out on it. But the point is, is the habit... The habit of making lists. There are two things that help me get stuff done in my life. A calendar, you know, I joke, I worship at the altar of the calendar because whatever the calendar says, I tend to do because I trust that whatever I put down there, I meant to put down there at the time I put it down. Same with the list. And those two things working in concert with one another help me get stuff done. It's really not that complex of a concept. It's just, you know, make the list the night before, put all the top priority things in the first five to-do slots, if you will. And then if there's, you know, room for more, add it. I don't put anything on there that I know I'm gonna do naturally, like pick the kids up from school or get out of bed or take a shower. It's like, duh, of course I'm gonna do all that. It's those non-habit things, those things I need to do that aren't necessarily part of every day. Mixing certain songs by certain artists, you know, in a particular order based on deadlines. Obviously, that takes up a a major chunk of my list. But then, you know, there's stuff that is boring everyday stuff, like paying your car registration or paying for gear insurance. You know, all that follow-up stuff that keeps the infrastructure going of what we do. That's all the boring stuff. Obviously, the fun stuff is writing down, you know, mix such and such song. But, you know, to-do lists are one form of list. Obviously, pre-flight checklists are another, which also can be very useful. So take, for example, the podcast. The podcast has a lot of moving parts. You know, there's obviously I got to do the interview. I've got to send my part over to Anne-Marie. The guest has to send their part. I have to do the the promo images. I got to create the audio, mix the thing, promote it, make sure I send an email to the guest so they know it's out and they have all the, the promo assets that they need to Promoted on their side. So all these, all these moving parts. Now, if I have a checklist, a pre-flight checklist, which is almost functions as a to-do list as well, stuff gets done, you know, and, th- and the podcast gets out successfully, you know, Sunday, Sunday nights, Mondays, every time without fail. So like I said, it's not that complex of a topic. It's very simple. If you're not in the habit of doing it, try to make it a habit, see what happens. You know, in 30 days, Have you accomplished more than you would without the list you know it's not for everybody and you may get bored with it you know i use my ipad pro to do it because i find it easy to to track you don't need an ipad pro clearly you can have a yellow pad and a pen or a pencil or one of those you know little spiral notebook things whatever it is you can write your list on post-it notes who cares as long as it gets done and it's a system that you adhere to once you do that and you get in the habit of it, 30 days later, look back and think, what has been completed this month? And how'd I do? Should I continue doing this kind of thing? You'd think it's a mundane part of our life that we can choose to adopt. But in reality, if you make it a serious part of your life, you can accomplish so much more. I know it's helped me tremendously. My oldest brother for years has always carried around a yellow pad. And and in my teenage years, I was always like, why does he always have a yellow pad? That's so weird. But, you know, as you grow and mature and you start to experience life, then you see what he's doing. And I realize, oh, okay, he's making lists. He's getting shit done. So that's it, lists. Hopefully it can uh, help make a dent in your workload and help you get stuff done throughout your day, every day, without fail. That's my rant. Thanks for listening. ready to tackle the business of audio together. Let's get to it. James Fluff Harley, here on the Working Class Audio Podcast. James, welcome to the podcast.
0: Hello. Thank you for having me. Yeah.
1: Pleasure to have you. I reached out to our mutual friend and former guest on the show, Alex Awana, to introduce us, I believe.
0: Yeah. I I didn't, honestly, I didn't realize Alex was a, was a guest. Yeah. Yeah, I, I first heard of you guys through John Fields, actually. He's a producer. He just moved back. Well, now it's been probably a couple of years. He moved back to Minneapolis. He was out here, did like Switchfoot, all the Jonas Brothers stuff.
1: Yeah, I know the name. I just don't know the face.
0: Yeah, his manager, Frank McDonough. Am I saying that right? Oh, Frank McDonough, McDonough yeah. Yeah, you had him on there. He's like, you should check out Working Class. Bubba Frank, da 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 And I did. I was like, there you go. Yeah, but I had no idea Alex was on here as well. So I'm going to have to search that that episode because oh, yeah. he's like one of my besties. He's a great person.
1: Well, let's jump in. First of all, how did you get your middle name? You're your, your,
0: your, <laughs> your also known as, not your middle name, but you know. Uh, yeah, I don't, you know how many people have asked me that and I've always said, no. <laughs> <laughs> let's just say I lost a bet. Okay. You know what? I'll just tell you. So basically, I was now everyone is going to know. Damn it! <laughs> but when I was in college, I had this teacher, Chopper Black, and him and his kind of musical partner at the time, this cat Lance Saban. I used to kind of shadow them in my early early times going to school. Right. Mm-hmm. So they're both huge Vikings fans. I went to school in Minneapolis. I'm a Packers fan. I don't have anything against the Vikings. But I don't know. I like teams that win. So anyhow, <laughs> we had a bet going. And at the time, I had long hair, but not as long as what my Goldilocks is now. But Chopper had really long hair. And he was gorgeous because there's like silver, not like gray and ratty. He was like he had this gorgeous silver hair, right? So as the story goes, the Vikings were playing the Packers. And we made a bet. And the bet was... If my Packers won, he had to cut off all of his hair to my length. And if his Vikings won, then I had to dye my hair his color. So I unfortunately lost. But being a man of my word, <laughs> right after the game, I went to a hair salon and had it my hair dyed silver. Unfortunately, it came back white as a Q-tip. So <laughs> they were like, Fluffy, Fluffy, you know, just calling me these names, and I was just not having it, to be honest with you. I just acted like it didn't bother me. Hopefully that it would just stop the torture of having these different kind of nicknames. Fast forward, I ended up coming to L.A. to work with Tom Tucker, who is one of the owners of the studio that I was working at in Minneapolis, to work with a client and we're going to Henson and I remember walking into Henson, the first guy on the scene. And I walked into Henson in a studio and there's Brian cook who I believe you have had on your show and this other cat, Kevin Mills, both that are also good friends of mine. And I walked in and I remember Brian looking over at me, he goes, you must be fluff. (laughs) And I remember being like, damn it. And then I got really peaceful with it because I'm just like, well, it made it all the way out here. So wow. how many fluffs can there be? So then I just started rocking it. <laughs> so that's that's how that went down.
1: That's funny. I thought you were going to tell me Prince gave you that name.
0: No, 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 no. He did not. But he did call me that. Yeah. Usually when he's in a good mood. Usually he's very well collected but there are things you could kind of feel his energy when you walk in a room you could kind of know if he's in a mood i guess or mm-hmm. if he's going to be kind of a jokester because he's kind of a prankster but yeah you could kind of tell when he'd be like Fluff, if i need you or james can you come to studio a you know oh, i'd be yeah. like oh okay that's well, like now, going now, to the principal's now, office yeah 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 it's like oh all right we got work to do you know instead of like oh we're gonna make some music it's like oh we have work to do
1: well now now we have clarity on that and yeah we can call it an exclusive that you revealed the full story here i know
0: very few people know that story to be honest <laughs> with you very few people i mean alex alex does for sure but well let's go back a bit where did you grow up i grew up in this very small town in minnesota called warroad minnesota it's like right on the border if you look at a map, the state on the very top goes west to east and then it hits 90 degrees and it goes north again and then kind of trickles down, right? And there's a huge lake up there, Lake of the Woods. So I went to school up there, Hockey Town, USA, which, trivia fact, any hockey team, male or female, that's won Olympic gold has had a Warrode player. Really? Warroad and and Rosa, which is the neighboring team. It's the neighboring town. So you have these two very small towns that, quite frankly, would always give the Twin Cities and all of, like the big, big high schools a run for their money. Hmm. In hockey, a lot of people have came came from there. They take it serious. It's like football in Texas.
1: I assume you played hockey.
0: Nope, I didn't play hockey. Wow, nope. I, I played basketball, and I was just kind of a music guy. I'm the one that kept on beefing up the car stereo and all that stuff and go to parties. And back in the days, when I used to drink, drink, but yeah, I always went to watch hockey. Hockey is my favorite sport, but like, we're literally so far up there that you could spit and hit Canada. You know? (laughs) Yeah.
1: Tell me as far as your upbringing is concerned, are there any points of interest in your upbringing that you can attribute to where you're at today in terms of, were you playing in bands? Were you in public school band? Did you have any interest in recording as, as a teenager Oh, wow. Wow, we're going to get deep, huh? Oh, yeah.
0: You want to lay down on the couch? (laughs) It's usually the other people that are laying down talking to me. For me, I I was in... I played clarinet in high school band and stuff. And I guess I wasn't... Like, I was always into music. Ever since I was a wee little lad, (laughs) I was always into music. I'd be getting up with my mom at 4.35 a.m. and watching MTV and Michael Jackson and Van Halen videos, but I didn't actually really think about the recording process until a year and a half in the life of Metallica came out. <laughs> it was just this whole 90-minute video of Bob Rock and Randy Staub, and I'm just like, whoa, this looks dope. But I never really thought of pursuing it. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like, I, I guess I kind of – I mean, it's weird because I there's a certain comfort level. You're in a small town and all this stuff, and my life was going to be my life. I always kind of knew that this – wasn't just going to necessarily be my life as far as living in that small town or whatever. But I didn't really know what that meant, if that kind of makes sense. Yeah. So fast forward, I was in a car accident and I ended up getting ejected from a geotracker and I really got messed up. And through that, I couldn't do like manual labor anymore. So up there, there's like two kind of big big companies there's marvin windows and doors which is a huge kind of window door company and then there's polaris industries that make atvs and snowmobiles well i couldn't really like be on the line anymore so i remember i went to go talk to my high school counselor and this is geez i'm like probably twenty, twenty-one at this point and he was just like well what are your interests and i kind of just told him music and he's like well there's a school in minneapolis he goes, you should check it out. And it was a recording school. At the time, it was called Music Tech. Then it became like a four-year college and became McNally Smith. Now I think it's closed. I don't even think it's open anymore. But I went down there and then through the course of hard work or, or whatever you want to call it, here I am. So everything I can attribute to my world is from this car accident. Literally everything, other than my family. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> All of my friends all of my career all of my relationships literally that's where the road splintered it literally stemmed from one of the worst experiences of my life
1: how old were you when that occurred like 2021
0: like i wasn't that i wasn't that old but yeah i just remember being like what am i going to do and just all this panic and all this stuff which now in hindsight i think was the the fuel. And it wasn't like your regular unleaded. It was like nitrous ox taint. you know, just because when I got to school, it was kind of like a rock and roll high school, to be honest with you. People wanted to party and have fun and blah, 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 blah. And I would show up at seven in the morning and be there until midnight every day since like first semester, just trying to get into the studios, trying to get, I mean, I ended up becoming so far past anybody in my class that mid third quarter they just tested me out because i ended up getting a job at the studio master mix so i don't know if you saw the other video with that i did when i kind of talked about it but they got a point in my second semester where they had like some bigger they had tried and like these sony consoles or whatever but they didn't have anything like an ssl or, or a neve or an api mm-hmm. so i asked the teachers and they basically told me this one teacher phil I won't say his last name, but Phil <laughs> told me straight up. He's like, chances of you working in a bid room are, are very slim. You should prepare yourself to be working in like home studios and, and all of this stuff. And I kind of was taken back by it. And that was another level of gasoline for the fire because then I ended up just like, you can't tell me where. <laughs> yeah. I, so I just, I literally called SSL. Boop. I think in New York, is SSL in New York? Doop. Ordered all their manuals, the G console and the G computer and the J console and the J computer. And then I called Neve and ordered, it was the um, VR 72 or whatever, the VR console, mm-hmm. ordered ordered that manual. And just like, I'm just going to take it upon me to get this stuff down. So when I hopefully land in a position and an opportunity where I'm around that, then I'm not completely dumbfounded by it. Yeah. So I learned it myself, fast forward, mid third semester. That Studio Master Mix was being built next door to the school. We took a break from class. I literally walked over there, introduced myself to Tom Tucker and Tommy Tucker Jr. And basically said that I could run this whole board. And they're like, oh, really? And that turned into an internship, which then two months later turned into starting off as an assistant. then being a Pro Tools guy, you know, and just kind of like worked my way up. But yeah, they the school literally tested me out. They're like, just do do your final fourth, fourth semester project, and we're gonna give you A's across the board for attendance of the whole nine yards. Just,
1: I want to break some of this down a bit because this is fascinating to me. Number one, do you think that the drive you had at that school, beyond being you know a Midwesterner with because the work ethic of Midwesterners is legendary, however that car accident i wonder if that just set you up for success because i don't know i'm sure that that was a life-changing moment so you probably i'm assuming that there's some amount of inspiration that came from that like oh shit life's short well
0: yeah i mean i mean a there is the work ethic but i i think honestly i think a lot of it was was just fear fear of the unknown And through the fear of the unknown of like, I need to make this work because I don't know where I could fall back on. Because I couldn't necessarily go home and do the normal kind of manual labor jobs because I couldn't necessarily be on my feet for eight to 10 hours straight because of my back was so messed up at the time for sure. So I think there was just some kind of fear within that of I need to make this work. Because there might not be anything else to do for me. Yeah. So between that and the work ethic, there was just a whole lot of drive and determination. And it wasn't necessarily easy. And there were mistakes made along the way as life goes. Yeah. But I'm also a guy that's not necessarily, do I like to make mistakes? No. But I also am smart enough to realize, well, Mistakes are, are, are an amazing way of learning and figuring things out. And you just don't pop out of the gate and be like, I know everything. It's like people know what they know. <laughs> Usually from the, a lot of it's from the mistakes that they've made in the past and stuff. But yeah, I just remember like everybody around me, all they cared about was school ended at five and let's go get cocktails or whatever. And I'm just like, eh. <laughs> I'll go have cocktails when I have a, my stuff is like figured out. So yeah, and now I'm doing this, and they're not doing anything. That's admirable
1: because you know that that's a temptation, just like you know the social aspect of something like that to as a distraction. Yep. But that whole thing with Phil, hmm, that would have
0: pissed me off, man. Well, it was just very. I mean, I was just kind of like, "What are you talking about, man? Like, you can't. You're a teacher. You should be inspiring." So. If you come across somebody and he's like, I think I want to be president of the United States one day, then I would be like, Hell yeah. You know, (laughs) just be there and like try to inspire them to whatever they want to try to achieve, not just be like, Well, you know. (laughs) But again, I kind of took it as more fuel. So I was just like, Okay. All right, bud. (laughs) We'll see. So take me through the progression of
1: once you left the school, how did you tackle your career? What were the Steps you took to take control?
0: Well, I mean, a lot of it was, I mean, again, got the job at the studio. And then through there, it was like a whole other level of education because Tom, who used to run Paisley Park and did a bunch of Prince records, you know, and all this stuff, he had a a high level of clientele. Majority speaking, it was coming through the studio. Mm -hmm. It was just another level. And my brain was. Like a sponge and just craving it after like going through school and for the most part dominating anybody around me, you know. I was like, oh, 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 <laughs> you know. Like all of a sudden we're locking up two eight twenty sevens with whatever, whatever. I mean, we've had we had some crazy sessions coming in where it's just like some of the overseas projects were like a dash machine with phase locked with. And eight twenty seven, because the drums would be all on analog, and everything else would be on dash machine, and then it would be like B V U machines with time code eight ads, and just and just all this stuff that was just a sinking. Which at the time I'm like, God damn! But we always <laughs> got it figured out, and it always worked, and and we're always very le- legit about it. So coming into where I'm currently at, when Jonathan was just like. Boom. Oh, you know how to do all this stuff. And all of a sudden he just like grabs this 827 from one of the other rooms. He's like, we have one of these. I'm just like, what? And he's like, here are a couple links modules. I'm just like, oh my God. Are we doing it like this? He's just like, you wanna? Yeah. Yeah, I do. <laughs> I really, <laughs> really do. I really, I mean, if you guys are going to buy the tape. You know, let's let's get our hands dirty. So it was a lot of like that, that stuff. You know, so I was very fortunate to come up through who I came up through, which was, you know, like Tom Tucker, Ricky Peterson, Paul Peterson, Rob Colby, who is a fantastic front of house guy. But it was a lot of analog. And it was just kind of in the cusp of the transition to digital. Mm-hmm. It was 888s eight, eight, back in the day and stuff. But we had one Apogee 88,000. And we would be locking that up. I just remember just all of the sinking stuff and just this and that. And like, this needs to be like this. And again, like my brain was a, was a sponge, but these cats knew all this stuff, like the back of their hands, you know? And, and not only did they know it, they were very, very supportive and patient with me. And, and the other guy, Joe Lipinski, who was working with me at the studio at the time of just, this is how this is. And we were both very bright people. So, we just suck it up like sponges. I remember Tommy Jr. the first first week I was there. He's just like, any downtime, open up the back of the racks, and get into the back of the gear. Get yourself comfortable with how the wiring is. Get yourself comfortable with how it's all interfacing with the SSL and the patch bay. Just blah 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 blah, because you don't know who's going to be in here and you don't know when something's going to fail, and you need to get your hands dirty.
1: That's an interesting thing because if you're a new person coming into a studio and you see it all in the racks and present it as it is in a control room, you don't have a visual representation of how all that shit is connected. Yeah. So that was a brilliant move on his part to suggest yeah. that.
0: Yeah, and it, I mean, it was great. He's like, get underneath the console, see how this thing powers up, powers down. So, you know, it's just like all of these things to get way more familiar with it. So when then something was to go... Boop, boop. <laughs> you could fix it. And I was the guy because of all of my stuff from being in school of learning the SSL in and out. I mean, we had techs there. We had Julie Gardeski, who was amazing, and also another person, Chuck Zwicky. Ah, <laughs> Chuck. I love yeah, Chuck. Yeah, Ch- Chuck is amazing. And he actually helped build the studio and he was pretty heavily involved in the creation of Mastermix. But again, you're learning from all these, these people. My brain was just craving. Craving it. and Again, it wasn't necessarily easy. I wasn't walking out of there every day being like, yeah, yeah, what up, dude? You know, (laughs) there are days where I'm like, oh, my God, I just got my ass beat. (laughs) But, again, it's like some of those ass beatings create thick skin. And some of that stuff, I was telling – actually, this wasn't that long ago. I was talking with Alex, and I just go, as much as sometimes it sucked (laughs) working at that studio – because of the level that you needed to to be rocking at with all the different clients. And, and with Tom himself, there was just a level. He'd always be like, this place needs to run like the Roosevelt Hotel, period. Mm-hmm. I don't care what you got going on, blah, 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 blah. If you look over and the singer's coffee cup is empty, get him more coffee. Like All of these things of how to just really take care of who, who is ever in the room to the technical aspect to to whatever, whatever, whatever. But sometimes being in those trenches, it can get hard. And sometimes it could almost get kind of defeating in a sense, because you're just taking on so much and you need to be operating on 100, 100% of the time. Because being an assistant, which at that point it was like assistant slash Pro Tools guy, it was kind of on me and or Joe, who's ever working the session, to keep the session rolling. And if something was going haywire, we would let Tom know, but we wouldn't like, oh God, Pro Tools isn't working now. You know, they're never, we'd never make a scene about it. We'd divert. If Pro Tools or the tape machine, you know, whatever, or the links module, lunch break, who wants lunch? But basically, what was great about it was because you're on such a level, it really gave me This kind of tough skin. And I remember Tom used to tell me all the time, early on, not so much in my later time with him, but early on, it's just like he would like prod me, Mm -hmm. if that makes sense. And he would plant these seeds of almost doubt, which at the time I really hated. But he'd say, like, well, you can never, you never be able to work with Prince or you never be able to, blah, 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 blah. He'd chew you up. And then fast forward, yeah, he didn't chew me up. Not only did he not <laughs> chew me up, I actually had a really good time with the guy. <laughs> like yeah. I have like 5%, uh, but like 90% of like, woo, <laughs> I'm going back in to work with this guy. You know what I mean? Yeah. Where there are some people out there that don't have that fortunate of a experience with him. But yeah, it was just not to get too far off track, but just coming up in that kind of realm set me down this path and- There's these young, the youngins, as I call them. And there's a lot of talent out there, for sure. But some of them are kind of like lost, where I go, well, you're comparing yourself to the Andy Wallace's or the Brendan O'Brien's or the Nick Reskill and it's whoever, you know, all these dudes know the old school way very well. And that whole mindset is being applied when they're working all in Pro Tools or with plugins or whatever. You know what I mean? Like, you're missing a whole aspect of the history of how records are made. Yeah. You know, so, for example, there's so many... You get some things that come across, and I'm just like, wow. Like, they can't even get phase right on the drums. Not only can they get not get it right, they don't even know what it is and how of a huge thing, at least I think it is, of phase. Once you get something right? Everything just starts to sound pure. Everything sits better. Everything, you know what I mean? There's less molesting and EQing and blah, 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 blah. It's like fader balance, pan balance, phase. It's just like the three, the three things in my brain constantly. Yeah. <laughs> Before grabbing a piece of hardware or a plugin or, but some people don't. And maybe it's not being taught because I don't, I mean, I don't know. Maybe because there's tools that could fix it nowadays, but. It's like that old school kind of mentality of what to be looking for and listening for when you're recording something.
1: But also the the human interaction part of it too. Yeah. In retrospect, if I could go back in time and do something slightly different to prepare myself or to train myself, one thing that I think other people should try doing is being a, a waiter or a waitress to, mm-hmm. to learn customer service interaction with people, making sure people are taken care of, yeah. learning that side of it and bringing those skills to the table in the studio so you can be hyper aware of those things like fill in the cup of coffee and making sure that people have what they need without having to interrupt what they're doing.
0: Yeah, I mean, I feel like it's just part of, I call it just being a facilitator, but I think why I get hired is because that's like the whole thing with me. Mm-hmm. And I'm not just like some of these guys are like, well, that's not my job. If somebody needs something, I'm the first dude out of the chair because when you're in the studio, a lot of things can bog down the creative process. So I like to really quickly navigate through those said things to keep the train on the tracks. Yeah. And there's some people that don't really care about that, which is a little odd to me. But again, like you're just saying, I think it's a huge thing of it. If The more you can keep an artist... In the zone, Mm -hmm. man. Your job, like for me being an engineer, your job is half done. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) Yeah, I think I don't know. Maybe I got it wrong. Because reality is, if you could keep somebody in the zone and you could, as I call it, not make it about you, people will play better. It's like if you could get somebody to vibe right and get it done. Honestly, I just threw up a mic. Quickly just get drum mics going. Let's say on Ray Luzier for corn just boom 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 boom. Get him going, so he starts playing da 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 and you could start slowly tweaking. Cuz we always start with songs that we know like being a cover or whatever. So it's like get him in there, get him feeling it, get him be creative da 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 da, da and then we could go back to doing what we need to be doing. He doesn't need to wait for us to do what we need to be doing. We get him going. So if he's feeling it, we're moving. Because we'll, we'll get our side. We'll catch up. We'll literally catch up. So Chris Collier, who you, I think you've also, you've asked. You oh, know, yeah. I work with him a bunch, and we're both very much the same way. We're very much results guys. We don't like to get bogged down, da-da-da-da-da. But it's like, oh, Jonathan Davis wants to sing? We're singing. And we're do-do-do-do-do-do. <laughs> we'll play catch up later if we need to, because if they're in the moment, they're in the moment. We are here to capture a moment. Yeah, Is that what making music is about? You know, I mean, there's a lot of records that's not about that, unfortunately, nowadays. But the essence in the history, you're here to capture a moment. The magic isn't necessarily happening in the control room, which is unfortunately what it's happening to a lot of records nowadays. The magic should be in the booth. Yeah. Right? And if you need more energy, if you need more pizzazz, it should be coming from the guy playing it. That's the old school mentality.
1: And I think that the responsibility to of making sure that magic happens comes in decisions made prior to them arriving. Mm -hmm. I mean, it can be as simple as you show up two hours before they do Mm -hmm. to make sure that all that shit is set up so that there's not any downtime when say Jonathan wants to sing.
0: Yeah. And that, and that's literally again, something that was instilled from the very early days. I always showed up two hours before. Yeah. Before Tom Tucker would even come into mix I'm in there making sure the place is clean, coffee's made, da-da-da-da-da. I pretty much knew where he wanted things as far as gear he uses, patching things in so he could come in, start throwing up faders on the SSL and just kind of look back and be like, is that Summit TLA 100 on the bass? Yep. Insert. Boom. Just like (laughs) making music, just keeping it moving instead of just like bogging it down.
1: And you know, there's... As you say this, it's making me visualize, like, I think for people who have not experienced what we're talking about here, I think the best example is, is imagine the times in your life when you've walked into a situation and everything's ready to go for you. Like it could be as simple as being a little kid and your parents, like you wake up, you get out of bed and they're in there, breakfast is ready to go, or you go to a a restaurant and they're ready for you and everything is just right. Times in your life when people have gone through the effort to make you comfortable, Mm -hmm. you have to put yourself on the other side of that and make others comfortable.
0: Yeah, it makes a huge difference. At least from my experience, it makes a huge difference just on how people perform. And if you could be the guy, the vibe guy, that could just keep the mood light, all the better because I definitely know people out there that aren't that and they like to create drama for whatever (laughs) whatever reason and like Chris and I we just shake our heads just like oh man we don't get it (laughs) we just don't get it like we like to come in and like we're stoked we're legitimately stoked to walk into the studio every day and see what we're going to create that's what it should be about not like
1: hey our friends over at DistroKid have created the DistroKid app for Android which allows you to do some key things such as Check your stats from Apple and Spotify, edit release metadata, upload new releases, and a host of other features. And remember, WCA listeners get 30% off your first year at DistroKid. And if you just head on over to workingclassaudio.com slash WCA30, you can follow the link, get your 30% off, and be off to the races. So check our friends out at DistroKid and make sure and get your 30% off by going to workingclassaudio.com slash WCA30. There's also Dropbox integration, which allows me to quickly create a folder in my Dropbox, which automatically syncs with Sampley, makes it much more simple. You should check it out for yourself. Sampley.app. Check it out. Well, how long did you stay at this this first studio? Because it seems like a lot was
0: learned there. Six, maybe seven years. I was there for a while. Then I got to a point where all of a sudden I started breaking off doing projects on my own and stuff. I started a company with my, at the time, but really, I mean, still is a close friend of mine, Matt Kirkwald. We started doing projects and we would end up booking that room or rebook like another room, the Trarium Studios or Pachyderm or whatever. And then my role as far as an employee with that studio just ended up being like, I'm only coming in on like the big projects. Yeah. And then it just kind of weeded out. Yeah. I was there. I was there for a very long time, but again, it was good. It wasn't all roses, but it made me who, it shaped me, I should say, into who I am and and dealing with some of those experiences. And like they say, you learn so well from being in the hot seat. Yeah. And I was in the Haas seat the little off. And quite frankly, to fast forward to when I went out to L.A. and when I first met Brian and stuff, you know, that was one of the things I was kind of worrying about as I was on the plane to go out there. It was just like, I'd never been to L.A. This is Henson. It's one of the biggest rooms in town. Yeah. Am I going to be a, a complete dunce? <laughs> 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 and to find out I wasn't a complete dunce like I was able to kept up and and what was great about it is that becoming friends with Brian and Kevin it just instilled in me the, like okay everything I'm being taught and the frame of mind I'm being groomed is what it should be when you compare it to like Henson because it, it was a lot of the same things I mean there's some things I picked up on I'm like oh for sure because it's henson i mean they they have their stuff dialed in but for 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 the soul to leave there being like okay it's not like i'm way off here in the back 90 and they're over here being legit it's like i'm over there right over with them so that was good to know that you're on the right path for some of that stuff
1: walk me through a little bit of the timeline the series of events that eventually brought you out to la obviously before that we want to talk about prince but From studio to studio, walk me through it all.
0: I mean, I was there, then there were a couple things, unfortunately, that happened in my world that kind of, I wouldn't want to say forced me to come to L.A., Mm -hmm. but there's somebody extremely close to me, Kelly Nicole, who I was in the middle of making her project, and we shared the same, same age, birthday, the whole nine yards, and she ended up in the middle of her project dying of cancer. So that really kind of put mm. me into this dark cloud, if you will. Like, I just, as far as the creativity, it just, it wasn't there. Like, yeah. I was just like, I could I could care less if I was making music or not. Honest, you know, if I'm honest. So I was kind of in this space of just like, ugh. And then about six months after that is when Prince died. And I was just like, what the hell's going on around me? Like, Jesus. Right. So I talked to my friend, well, my close friend's. Neil and Daria, who, Neil is the keyboard player for REO Speedwagon. Oh, okay. And he's played on some stuff for me. At the time, they lived in Chandler, Arizona, which is a suburb of of Phoenix. So they're like, you know, if you want to get out, maybe you should come down here. So I scoped it out and moved to Phoenix. (laughs) I basically took a year off. Other than, I didn't do anything other than I did one project in New York with Dan Corniff, which I don't know if you know Dan Corniff at all. I don't. But you should get hip to Dan Corniff. Dan Corniff is a producer, engineer, mixer guy. He did like the Paramore Riot record. He was like Dave Bendeth's right-hand man. Mm. All the Breaking Benjamin stuff. He builds his own plugins, Corniff Audio, like the Pawn Shop Comp. And...
1: Oh, yeah, yeah.
0: Yeah. He is amazing. And we'll get more into Dan Corniff later. But okay. anyhow, so I did one of those, and I also do a bunch of, mixing for Target for like their big fall and spring meetings. But besides that, I basically was meditating for a year. And then through that, I was coming out, I remember it was like October of 2017. And then that's, that's when Alex Iwana called me up and dropped the hotness of this concept of audio test kitchen. <laughs> yeah. And that started the next chapter <laughs> of my life. Because I was thinking about moving to Nashville, and he's like, "Audio testing. I'm like, "Well, oh, God, this this might be, this is cool. Like, I'm actually, I'm, in, I'm into it. I'm into the geeky side of it. I'm into the educational side of it. I'm into figuring this out because this has never been done before." And that got me to locate to Los Angeles, and then that's what I kind of started on when I when I came here was was that because I was honestly not really even thinking about making music like as far as like traditionally i was just kind of like i don't know if i'm ready i don't know i made some music Mm -hmm. but they're all like friends like acquaintances and stuff i'm just like oh my band wants to blah 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 use you it's like oh well i've known you for 15 years yeah let's go in the studio and see what we could come up with but as far as like making a push of like hey I'm i'm want to get back in the biz and try to make a dent in it. Like that was never really my mentality. It was just like, I'm going to come out here and do audio test kitchen and see where this takes me.
1: I see. So you were, you were involved at the ground level with Alex and audio test kitchen.
0: Yeah. Like I was like the main head engineer for all of that stuff. Oh, okay. Yeah.
1: So what were your thoughts about Los Angeles?
0: Eh. No, I'm just (laughs) joking. (laughs) Uh, Actually, I don't really, you know, I mean the traffic sucks. But I mean, the thing with Los Angeles is like the opportunity here. It's just, I mean, it's almost second to none, right? Like you yeah. can just, at any given time, you could run into somebody and that person could change your life. Yeah. That's the reality of Los Angeles. Is it dirty? Yeah. Are there homeless problem? Yeah. You know, does the traffic suck? Yeah. But you know what? I might run into Mutt tomorrow, tomorrow. Maybe he needs an engineer. <laughs> <laughs>
1: yeah. Yeah. I, it's funny. In my early twenties, I, I wasn't very fond of it. And I live in Northern California, but I find as I get older, I enjoy it more now. And in fact, I'm flying down there on Friday for a day to hang out with some friends down there. But yeah, like you say, the opportunity is second to none. If you can tolerate all that other shit, yeah. It's amazing what's what's available.
0: Yep. Yeah, for real. For real. And there's I mean, there's sharks. Yep. There's sharks in this biz for sure, but there there is some really good people that won't sell you out to make a dime but there are those people so it's just you got to be aware you got to be aware and and like my circle what i consider my circle they're all really good peeps that would 100 have my back
1: now the studio that you're at now you're in los angeles
0: as we speak correct no i'm in bakersfield california
1: oh you're in bakersfield that's right because you're working with corn yeah that's right right and i remember that from from chris Spending time in
0: Bakersfield. Which is, it's a beautiful room. They have a a beautiful place up here. It's in an old theater and Jonathan is a gear guy and he's got all the toys.
1: Yeah. (laughs) Well, there's a couple of key points I want to make sure that I don't miss because I think people are going to be like, how could you talk to him and not ask about... So how did you end up working with Prince? How did that materialize?
0: Well, that materialized through, again, working with Tom because of his connection with that whole camp, man, we would hire Michael Bland and Sonny T and Morris Hayes, like, all the time mm-hmm. to play in all these other projects, especially, like, Michael. I mean, these guys are... Insanity is the only way I could describe the whole New Power generation. From Tommy Barbarella to... I mean, <laughs> they're all were just insane. And I've talked to Michael a lot about it, and it's one of those where if you could survive... The Prince Boot Camp. You're just coming out so much stronger with just knowledge, just the whole on every level, if you can survive it. Yeah. And there are people that can't survive it. And, you know, because sometimes he can be difficult. But these guys, I mean, you get Sonny Thompson and Michael Bland together. I call them the Terror Twins. That, I mean, that rhythm section is like fleeing Chad Smith. You know what I mean? And I mean, here you have Michael, who is just an amazing. A, he's an amazing human being, but he's just an amazing drummer. But then you have Sonny who plays left-handed with right-handed guitars and basses. And even Pete told me that he was one of the guys that taught him the most. Hmm. And they both have like perfect pitch, and you're just like, This is these guys are crazy. Crazy musicians.
1: So you have this this intro, this this common bond through New Power Generation members.
0: Yeah, so I knew those guys. So fast forward, I remember it was a Tuesday. It's like 12.30 at night, I guess. So I guess technically it was Wednesday. But Morris called me, and he's like, hey, Fluff. I'm like, what up, Mo? (laughs) He's like, I got to ask you a question. But before you answer, just know he's trying to be better. (laughs) I go, oh, no. Is this happening right now? (laughs) He's just like... Can you come to the park at 10 a.m. tomorrow? And Morris has always been great to me. So I'm like, (laughs) yep, I got you. Because he's always had my back. So I'm like, yep, this might go tits up, but I'm going to go out there. I'm going to put my best foot forward. Yeah. I said, yeah, he's like, cool. Here's so-and-so's number. Call him. When you get there, he'll come let you in. The whole nine yards, right? Because there's pretty much on lockdown. Nobody was out there other than him. Him and his assistant. So I did. I remember I woke up super early. I'm not gonna lie to you. I was nervous for sure. And I get out there and I'm just I meet his assistant and he's amazing and you know, I'm just sitting there and I'm just sitting there, honestly, signed this NDA and all this stuff. And then I just sat there waiting. And I remember like, well, I'm gonna call Vlado. So another good friend of mine, Vlado Miller, who's a mastering engineer. I've always looked up to him as as well. Like We became very close, and he's just kind of a, a confidant, and he always tells me straight. That's one of the things I love about Vlado. I love people that just shoot it to me straight. And I called him up about it, and I told him, and, and he, he gave me some really good advice, and he basically just said, don't make it about you. Don't try to impress him. He's already worked with everybody. The more fly in the wall you can be, and the more you could just keep him being creative and not have speed bumps with technical problems or anything like that, you're going to be fine. I'm like, okay. So at that point I started to settle being like, okay, I'm not an idiot. Obviously Mo would have never have called me out here. If he didn't think I could keep up with him. So fast forward, he finally shows up, walks into the room. I look at him. and He just says, are you with me tonight? I'm like, I guess I am thinking I was just going to meet him. and have like an interview. Honestly, and he's just like, can you give me the Lynn drum machine? I'm like, I sh- certainly can. Boop. Right to tape. And then we literally started making music. It was like a three-minute intro. And all of a sudden, wow. There you are. I'm recording this guy in studio A. Wow. <laughs> and then through that, he'd like ask me questions. So there'd be a little type of chit-chat. But it was pretty much just like, we're making music. And then it stayed that way for a very long time. And there, there was some aspects in the very beginning of, oh, well, this isn't working. Like one of the first things was the links and all the sync wasn't working in Studio A. Mm. And I remember, again, from my my experience, the thing with him is like, if you could keep him so he could just stay creative, he's a pleasure to actually work with. I mean, he's Prince, right? So a lot of it, you're actually putting a lot of more pressure on yourself to keep him going, I guess. Mm-hmm. But... If you could keep him going, he stays in this zone. When he can't be creative, when he's feeling it, that's when you see the kind of other side of of him. And (laughs) and that's what, like, people, I don't think people necessarily understood back in the day, you know, because he's had Paisley open to the public multiple times. And you've probably heard the stories of Phil Collin coming in and having one of the studios booked out for months. Like his, his gear is still coming off the trucks, <laughs> and him being like, I need the room. You have an hour to get out. I don't care where you go. I'll pay the tab, but I need the room in an hour. Wow. And they'll literally like load the trucks up, and trucks will like come to LA to some studio, Ocean Way or record plant, and he'll be back at Paisley and he'll be making his music. And he'll literally pick up the tab. He'll literally pick up the tab for the record plant. Unbelievable. But I know that might just be like, wow. But he was very much a guy that once he's got the idea, the idea dictated everything. Again, from my experience, that's why I would get a call at three o'clock in the morning because he'd want to get it out. And we'd literally, at that point, lay it down to the spot that it was out of his system and we might come back to it the next day or it might go into the vault. But his perspective, from my perspective, is that he needed to get it out because if he didn't, he might lose the idea and it might be his next big hit. So you got a lot of late calls, I bet. Oh yeah, I got some some late calls. <laughs> and sometimes, you know, we we would crush because he he was a he was a machine. He was he was a machine. And and that was half the battles trying to keep up with him because he would he would go.
1: We could spend, you know, hours on Prince, but to conclude, what do you think the major takeaway was from your experience with him and how that has affected sessions for you further down the line?
0: Well, I th- I think one of the main things that was a takeaway was watching him and how he would make a record. And music is music. Mm-hmm. Let's see if I could explain this so it makes sense. I guess for him, music was music. Music wasn't to get overly modified in a computer. That wasn't necessarily music to him. So it was crazy to watch him work because there'd be times where something might be, like a guitar might be slightly out of tune, but he, he loved it because he loved how that interaction was and how it made him feel. There'd be times where he'd be programming on a drum machine, and he wouldn't even have a click going. So it's just like he, he made music. He had his own internal clock, and he would make music. And now would he have clicks going sometimes? Yeah, of course. But nothing ever got gridded, even when it would end up off all the analog, and we'd dump it into Pro Tools for more parts when we'd be flying things around or whatever, it was always kind of this thing of we need to edit almost like you would on analog tape. You know what I mean? Okay, well, where's the beat? (laughs) we got to drop it in here and blah, 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 you know, then edit accordingly. There was like no grid points. There was no tuning. There was no, I mean, he asked me once if I could tune a vocal. I'm like, sure. And by the time I even got the plugin open, he's like, I'll just re-sing it. So it was just very eye-opening because he and his band, he pushes everybody. And they're some of the greatest musicians that will ever walk the earth is the people that have played with him. Yeah. Because they have to be on a certain level, honestly, because he's the type of guy that will play something and look at you and give you the guitar and be like, now you play it. Mm. And you need to play it like him. I remember one time he told me that, I'm going to paraphrase it so we don't need to get into the whole conversation I had with him. But he basically just told me that he's got the ability, him and his band, to play any piece of music and they can play it with 10 different emotions and literally have the listener feel that, whatever emotion they wanted. That's making music. Wow. Making music's not to be perfectly in time. Making music's not to be perfectly in tune. He's like, that's not music. Music is this. Music is the synergy between me and my bandmates and what we can create to impact the listener. So it was like that kind of mentality that has really stuck with me because there's other people out there and there's other producers that will spend a great deal of time on the Sonics and all that, you know, which is great. And there is a time and place, I think, for that. There's a time and place of like, oh, we're going go to go into example, do let's what other we're coming in to do a Janis Joplin record. <laughs> so <laughs> let's get, let's get set up. Let's spend whatever time we need to do before the actual music making takes place. But when that moment and the red light starts to get struck, Then we're making music and we're not getting bottled down by, well, does the hi-hat need a little more 5K? Like, (laughs) dumb stuff. So he was very good at that. And when you listen to his records, he never really made the same record twice. And some of his records don't necessarily sound the greatest because he's moving at such a clip, you know, because to him, the idea is more important than the sound of the Mm hi-hat. But... It's got vibe for days. All of his music and all of his records have vibe for days and character for days. And you hear the first note and you go like, that's Prince. So that's kind of what has stuck with me th- through that is letting some of the stuff go that that doesn't matter. Because he's a guy, and I've seen him do this, because he is brilliant. He knows how to, all the gear runs. Instead of having me clean stuff up in Pro Tools in between like vocals, you know, like words and shit. Mm-hmm. He'd have me dead patch the Studer, and he'd arm that thing, and he'd be punching in and out. Silence. It's crazy. Wow. I'd sit there and be like, what? And he'd be bam, 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 bam. And he'd just like going. you just, He'd be racing, and he'd tape hiss.
1: Between vocal lines? Yeah.
0: Right on the Studer. Oh my god. You want to talk about some old school shit. <laughs> wow. Where I'm like, are you sure you don't want me to do it in Pro Tools? Nah. I'll do it. We'll be done we be done by the time it takes me, you know, run through the song. And he would, he just, <laughs> I'm just like, okay. But he, he was also the guy again, from my experience, <laughs> like I've seen him do shit like that and I'll be like, Burr. he erased the front of a solo and I'd be like, uh Oh, and he wouldn't care. He'd just be like, I'll play it better. Like his whole mentality of like nothing being sacred was inspiring. And such a jumping into a nice pool on a hot summer day. Because most people hold, oh my God, that's the that's the take. That's the solo or that's the drum take or that's the vocal. You know what I mean? Like it's put on such a pedestal. Mm-hmm. And his mentality was just like, I, I don't care. Yeah. I'll just redo it and I'll redo it better than what it was there. That confidence of just like, and he would. It's crazy because I've seen him do countless takes on countless instruments. And there are times you're going like, God, that's just smoking. He's like, nah. Wow. Take me to the top of the bridge, Fluff. And like, it's just the craziest, I mean, again, we could probably talk for a couple of days on just him, but that's what I took, where it's like the true essence. And I think it was the the Chuck one that I was listening to. Oh, an interview that I did with Chuck? Yeah, because Chuck Chuck was, you know, he worked out there too, right? Yeah. And I remember it had nothing to do with Prince, but I remember Chuck, said something along the lines of what we're talking about right now with him and like that, that vibe and that character and that he's going for versus having something perfectly in time or in tune and have it all edited or whatever. Mm-hmm. That translates, like like what Chuck was saying, that translates between the mediums. It doesn't matter what medium you're using. The feel of a song is the feel of the song. It could get recorded on your phone. And that is also so true. So that's that's what I took away. If like some of the stuff doesn't need to happen some of the editing some of the blah 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 all the greatest records that were ever made there are flubs there are mistakes yeah some of that is what gives that stuff the character because we've all heard records that have been scrubbed so clean that now they're just vibeless and they're boring and you're just hitting skip
1: exactly
0: My, my opinion
1: well let me address completely different track Way off of of talking about the artistry of Prince and how he works. Let's talk about survival as an audio professional. You've been at this for a while. I'm sure you've been through some ups and downs. Oh yeah. What would you have to say about surviving the financial aspects and eating and paying rent and and or wanting to buy a house or et cetera, et cetera? Like, how has that worked for you in your life? <sighs>
0: I mean, it's a hustle. I've been fortunate enough to end up getting with some fairly large clients that I've been able to, they just like having me around. Like P, I was around, or like Corn. Jonathan likes having me around, and and all these things. So I've been very, very fortunate in that just how, I guess, my personality is and stuff. Mm Mm-hmm. But it is a grind. I mean, there's been times where it's like, oh, something's fallen through. And now you're scrambling to find something or you might not be able to make rent. And we live in a world now in in the music business where it's funny because I feel like there's, there's money out there in certain genres for sure. Mm -hmm. But I mean, it's, it's not like it was in the late eighties, early nineties, where all of a sudden you have a record that sells a couple million and now you're all buying houses off royalties. When you look at some of these cats like Bob Rock and Andy Wallace and Brendan O'Brien who are selling off their, their royalties and you, and you see like, oh, Andy Wallace made, I forget what his figures were. In 2017, it was like 772,000, you know, <laughs> of royalties. You, you're just going like, what the what the hell? <laughs> yeah. You know, like some of these massive records back in the day. Where it's not that whole model isn't really the the case nowadays, is it? I mean, it, I mean, it gets it gets harder, but again, I think a lot of it has kind of shifted. A lot of it is, I mean, how do I say it? It's like you get more money when you have more worth. Does that make sense? It totally I mean. does. Yeah. And a lot of that worth comes from hard work and ho- hopefully having luck and something pops for you and, and all this stuff, right? I mean, because again, it's like we still live in a business where, I mean, I remember John Fields talking about Switchfoot. where like, the manager hit him up and like, I got this band and they only blah, blah, blah. We only have 13 days or some shit. Mm-hmm. So they came to his house. They did it basically on the house and track drums someplace else and da, 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 da. In 13 days, boom, record blows up. <laughs> you know, that stuff can still happen. All of a sudden, his life changed and now he's doing all like these records and working with disney and all you know what i mean so it could really just change overnight but i mean a lot of it is just perseverance it's one of those that when people are like i want to get in the music business, i'm just like mm-hmm. you know you got to do it for the right reasons and the right reasons is not to be famous right, the right reasons are because you're into the either the art of recording and making music and being creative because those will help you get through the lean times
1: yeah you got to be a persistent person to make it in this business.
0: Yes. You can't quit. You got to just stay yep. in. Yep. You got to, you got to just, you keep on pushing. I mean, there are times when I've wanted to just be like, I don't know. Yeah. Especially after like all the deaths where I'm like, I don't know, man, if I can get back into it.
1: Since the car accident, since getting into recording school, you talked about the fear. Has the fear gone away or do you still carry it?
0: Yeah, I guess some sense it's still there, but there's a sense of me that goes like, eh, I've already done enough stuff. Honestly, you know, I'm a guy that just kind of keeps his head down. I'm not out there trying to hire a publicist or whatever. I feel like, eh, I've done enough stuff that, I mean, I'm sure a Sweetwater... (laughs) <laughs> or or <a> guitar <laughs> center would hire me. <laughs> I mean at this point. <laughs> yeah. I mean but the fear is still there a little bit obviously. Right. You got to still survive. If you can't survive doing something then why are you kind of doing it like it needs to be feasible. Like yeah. you start going with like, well, I haven't worked in 6 months and I'm blasting through all my savings. Huh. Yeah. Well, what other options do I have or what else other interests do I have? And can I do something else? And can, you know, because I've known people that have gotten out and they're doing something totally different and they're happy and blah, 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 blah. And they have their own little like mixing room in their house and they're still dabbling in the stuff, but they're not trying to make the full court press, you know, yeah. and they're so much happier, honestly, because they don't have the stresses of what this whole thing can be because it's a grueling business. It's probably one of the most grueling businesses, out there.
1: You mentioned something. You said uh, you know, burning through my savings. You're obviously a saver.
0: I mean, I like to save, taking a year off. I went through some savings. I bet <laughs> you did in that year. Yeah, yeah. But, Phoenix isn't know.
1: too pricey, but yeah. And that's that's the key too, right? You gotta keep your overhead low and you gotta you gotta save what you make because I think yeah. maybe some people make the mistake of they get a big gig and they think, well, this is it, I've arrived, and then they start spending money that they don't have and then Yeah. Yeah, The phone doesn't ring for six months. You can't do that.
0: You can't go into it like you were, like some of these NFL cats that are like, boom, I'm making $20 million. And then like, all of a sudden they're not getting picked up by the teams anymore. They're like, I don't have any money. (laughs) Like you can't really think that way. Honestly, like you just got to go in. And I don't know how some of these other people do, but I live in this world of, well, I can't really schedule anything because I'm busy. And then when you get a free moment, you're like, oh, I don't need to do anything for three weeks. I don't want to schedule anything because I don't want to spend any money. So I kind of live in this vortex of just being, just being. I live yeah. in this vortex of just being. <laughs> but, but it is grueling out there for sure. And it's just hard work, man. At yeah. At the end of the day. I mean, when it comes down to anything, it just takes hard work. And there's always somebody behind you waiting for, you know, like I remember that being taught to me too. There's always somebody on your coattails waiting for you to mess up, to, to just swoop the gig. Yeah. Or waiting for you to burn out or. Yep. Like you just got, to, I mean, that was the thing with P of just, cause I remember Tom telling me this way back in the day of just like, Oh God, he used to just burn through assistance. Cause he would get in these roles where he's just, he's, he's making music. I mean, I think the longest we win was almost like 96 hours straight.
1: Wait, you and Prince going for 96 hours?
0: Yeah. Jeez. Yeah, he just had Tyler make his food and the food would be waiting outside the studio and water's, you know, and we just keep on going. And there's a point where it's like, there's a point where you get so tired where all of a sudden like, now you're not even tired anymore. Now you're just working. But yeah, he, he used to burn people out.
1: You're probably not doing 96-hour sessions anymore.
0: Hell no! <laughs> <laughs> but I always tell Jonathan, and Jonathan is such a... He is just one of the greatest dudes ever. He's just so not rock star, which is what I love. Yeah, like this whole band is so not rock star, but they're all rock stars. Meaning right? corn. We're talking corn, about corn. right, right. But Jonathan's the guy. Just like, oh, well, I was thinking about coming down, but I mean, if you're already if you're already chilling, then it could wait until tomorrow. I'm like, <laughs> <laughs> come down. Like I don't care. Like you could call me at three o'clock in the morning if you're feeling something. Like, that's what I'm used to. Yeah. I'm here to, like, facilitate you, man. Don't make this. It's not about me. Like, if you want to rock at 5 a.m., because he's like a night owl. Uh-huh. He goes to bed at, like, 6 a.m. and gets up at 2. He's like that guy. He's a vampire. So I'm like, just do it. I don't care. Like, I don't care. I'll catnap through the day, whatever, whatever. He's like, well, I know you go to bed early because I get up at 5 a.m. He's like, I know you go to bed early and da-da-da. I'm like, it doesn't, it doesn't matter to me. Do you have kids? No. Why are you getting up at 5 a.m. then? Well, the usual routine is, and I kind of go in and out of cycles with this, right? But I I go in and out of like a a, a meditation cycles.
1: Oh, okay,
0: okay. So I'm a Buddhist. And when I'm in the cycle, I get up at 5, wake up, have some coffee or whatever. And then I would usually meditate between 5.30 and 7. Like I'd like meditate for like anywhere between 60 to, to 90 minutes. Okay. Every morning, but I'm also I don't force it, and I do go into like, oh, now I'm not meditating, but then I'll get up and I'll I'll go walk. Like I'm a big walker too, right? So I oh, walk anywhere between five five to ten miles a day. So that's when that would usually happen, unless there's like a break in the day and I could walk during the day. But it, mornings, because I know I'm not going to be getting a call because nobody in the band is going to be up at that point. They're all going to be right. going to bed. That's when I kind of do that that stuff.
1: And for those listening, I really want you to pay attention to what James just said. The walking, it's free, it's exercise, and this is a very sedentary job. So mm-hmm. yeah, follow this example of walking for sure. Sorry to, to, to jump back to this, but this always confuses me. And I think it confuses some of my listeners who are not working with people like Corn and, and Prince, but how does one, as an audio professional, step into a role like that with artists like that, and figure out what they're gonna be paid? Like, how does one approach that?
0: Yeah, I don't even know if I know the answer to that. But for for me, it's just—I mean—I kind of have a rough kind of rate. Prince paid me X. Corn's not—they're paying me Y. Right. And like, my whole intro to Corn was. Way different than if they were to call me now, honestly. I probably would have shot a different thing. You know, I, I got introduced into the corn camp through Chrissy. Mm. So Chrissy worked on their last couple records with Nick, Russ right? It's just kind of like an engineer. Obviously, you probably know the whole story. And he was doing some stuff with Jonathan. Pandemic happened. They were thinking about coming in and just writing like six songs, possibly putting out a, an EP just because they are bored basically and and they wanted to kind of get everybody into a compound type state because there's a lot of uncertainties with the the covid at the time right kind of create a corn bubble yeah kind of a corn bubble Jonathan can't get sick Jonathan's youngest can't get sick and you know there's just like these these things so so Chrissy hits me up and at this point we've never worked together mm-hmm. like we've just been Friends, like like we've hung out and had lunch, whatever. You You're know? talking about Collier, yeah, Chris Collier, yeah. He's gonna hate it that I call him Chrissy. <laughs> He's like, you always call me Chrissy. You get everybody calling me Chrissy. I'm like, I'm sorry, I don't know what to tell you. <laughs> I just call you Chrissy. I'm like, sorry, <laughs> sorry, bro. <laughs> you know I love you. So, and I think honestly, here here's the other thing. One opportunity leads to another. So I just remember, I talked Chrissy into coming down to. Nam one year. This must have been 2020. Nam 2020. And he came down to Nam, and, you know, Audio Test Kitchen was launching and we all went out to dinner with like the uh, EV guys, Electro Voice cats. And, you know, they're asking me about Audio Test Kitchen and, and just, I was going into like how some of the things were done and some of the steps that were, you know, because the whole thing with Audio Test Kitchen is trying to take it down to the smallest variable ever. Right. And, It took a lot of work. (laughs) Yeah. And it was like two years of recording, (laughs) literally. So it took a lot of work to get it there. But I think through that, Chrissy was just like, God damn. And now I don't know. I'm taking, that's a guess. That's my own presumption. Because he was just, I remember like having dinner at the steakhouse and he's just like shaking his head. He's just like, Jesus. Well, fast forward, he calls me up one day and I'm out. I'm out. At this time, I was living in Redondo Beach, and I'm out having my coffee, and he's like, so I got hit up by corn management. I'm like, okay. He's like, they want to get together and maybe write six songs, and they want me to produce. I'm like, oh, dope. You know, he's my boy. I'm like, this is sick. Not even thinking anything, right? I'm like, this is sick. (laughs) Good for you. And he's just like, you know, what would you think about coming up to to engineer i'm like oh actually i was kind of not overly stoked if, if i could be just straight up right like i was not really stoked because at that time i haven't really dug in i'm going like i don't know if i really want to like get that deep back into the recording side but he's like yeah you know there's just there's some demons up in the studio and there's been some times where i, I haven't been able to figure some things out and people were like waiting and and I just, this is really like your world and, and all that stuff. Because Chrissy is brilliant. He's a brilliant musician, multi-instrumentalist, and all the digital shit, like he's brilliant. But I grew up in the environment with the SSLs and the link synchronizers and the tape machines. and mm-hmm. And he's just like... Just need some, just need some help. I don't know if I'll need you for the whole stint, but it'd be great if you want to come up, blah, 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 kind of get me going and get me rolling and maybe squish some of these demons, you know, I'm like, uh, I'm like, okay, well, because it's you, boo. (laughs) (laughs) Basically, I was just like, okay. And with that, getting back to the original question, he was just like, well, with the pandemic and blah, 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 can you do it for X? And I remember being like, I'll do it for X you're my boy. It doesn't matter. I'm here. I'm going to get you rolling and you're right. going to crush this. That's that's all that honestly mattered to me. I wasn't going of like, oh, well, it's corn. That means I can over, you know, like I was just like trying to accommodate. Yeah. I was just trying to accommodate and facilitate what Chrissy needed Right to set him up for success. So through that, I came up, met Jonathan and then it got scheduled. And all of a sudden, the boys are showing up one at a time and and then it took us like we were up here probably three or four days before the band started showing up and there were there were there were gremlins for sure in the studio there were things that were like wired weird and just you know and i don't know i don't think it was necessarily how the room was built and wired i think through the course of other people having their paws on stuff oh yeah and i'm just like huh I remember one day, I was just like I looked in the back of like the outboard rack. I go, Jonathan, can I redo all of this? I wish you would, Fluff. It's all fucked up. I know. I'm just like perfect and just like cables just ah flying. And I literally rewired the whole credenza, and I'm like, okay, now it's clean. Now it makes sense. Now it's just all these things where I'm like, what is happening right now? Why does this not work? like how it's supposed to work. And then I have to figure out why that is. You're like, oh, because somebody put a jumper over here and split it over here and blah, blah. You know, and you're like, oh God. So we fixed out a lot of that stuff. And my rate was my rate and it's been adjusted since then and all this stuff, because as time went on, I never left. (laughs) Like I came up and we're working like two weeks on, two weeks off or whatever. But I was only scheduled to maybe do like four or five days out of the first two week stint. And I remember Jonathan being like, man, if we could get two songs done in two weeks, I'd be stoked. You know, as far as being written. Right. Because they've had some roadblocks in the past. And me, I'm looking at Jonathan, looking at Chris and being like, two songs in two weeks. What? <laughs> like from how I came up. Right. Was Working very with much friends. Like, What's happening right now? And Chris is like, yeah, there's been some time, you know, writer's block. We can't get the juices going. There's been problems with the The facility at the past, and I think it's kind of been uh, turned into a black cloud where, you know, all of a sudden it's not fun here. And and all, like, these things that I'm keying in on of, like, okay, 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 like, okay, well, we got to get the room going, all right? Then we got to change the vibe of it. And it's not necessarily cosmetically, right? It's, like, just changing the overall aura and the spirit so when people are walking in, they want to make music instead of being, like, a black cloud, right? So all these things that are, like, starting to register in my brain. Mm Mm-hmm. And then we start just tackling them. And then it turned out that the first writing reek, the, the, that first two-week stint, I think we got, God, I want to say 12 days. I think we got like eight, maybe nine songs written. Oh, wow. And then we took two-week break off and we came back and we got like another nine. <laughs> and then we took two weeks off and came back and then we got another You know, it was just like, they were like, because all of a sudden the studio's flowing. And it wasn't even, it was still kind of being adjusted, but a lot of the demons got muscled out. Mm -hmm. per se and we just started going and then concepts of like oh we're not doing an ep we're going to do a whole record now and all of a sudden like the tape machine's coming out and all of a sudden figure out the tape fluff and 30 reels of analog are showing you know you're just like boom before you know it i guess now i'm I'm actually making a corn record i wasn't you know coming up here to be like helping chrissy it was like oh this is actually turning into a thing now and obviously they have a place, there's a place for you to stay in Bakersfield. Yeah, there's a couple apartments on site. One of them's, I guess, my, my place. One of them's Jonathan's. Okay. So I've I got my own feng shui going on up there. So my own escape. Yeah. I mean, before we used to stay in hotels. Yeah. Chrissy and I would. And there's there a point through the course of the last record where I just remember being like, there's so much money going into hotels. Like there's actually a room upstairs that Chrissy could stay in too. So I guess there's technically there's there's three rooms there's no, but I remember just telling Jonathan why don't we just like redo one of the rooms make it into my room where I could vibe it out however I want it with all my Buddhas and incense and rugged floors and so I could do my thing and you can be saving like four grand a month on hotels yeah <laughs> you know and I'm like I'd rather like just give me the budget of something recoup me so I could fucking vibe out the room and then. When I move on from this place, if I ever move on from this place, then it's corn. That's like the corn room. Just do that. And then all that money could just get thrown into the kitty for either gear or maintaining gear or whatever. It's just like, it's just a waste in my brain. I'm like, you guys are just spending money out between hotels for me or me and Chrissy, you know, where I'm like, wow. They were amenable to that, I would assume. Oh, yeah. They were just like, John was just like, fuck yeah. Yeah. Well, save four, four right, grand we'll a month. Yeah, let's, let's, I mean, let's get it going. And he likes it too, because he likes, I think he likes me being on site when I'm here and just kind of maintaining and and overseeing it, especially when he's out on the road to have somebody around. So if there's anything to ever go haywire, it's going to get taken care of.
1: Do you have a website or maintain social media presence at all?
0: Yeah, I'm on basically Instagram. What's your Instagram handle? I am fluff. Okay. It's like underscore. I am fluff underscore i'm gonna put a put a link in the show notes to
1: that because we're 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 about out of time here, and i I want to make sure that people can find you there and and visit you on Instagram.
0: Chrissy and I are both are very very approachable in the terms you know of just like we're not not really sacred about anything, yeah, you know what I mean, like some people are very really like, well, you know, uh you know I don't want to tell them these tricks, and it's like we don't we don't really give two shits to be honest with you, it's just like we're all making music at the end of the day. As long as it's good music.
1: And I'll put a link in the show notes to, to Chris's episode and to both Chuck Zwicky's episodes for that matter. And uh, you mentioned Nick Raskulinik, so I'll put Nick's episode in there.
0: Yeah. So. But you got to check out Dan Corniff. Okay. High props to Dan Corniff. He's going to blow your mind. He's an amazing human being, but he's just one of those where he's like, yeah, so one day I just started building plugs. I'm like, what? He's like, yeah, I learned it all myself, Learned, researched how to do it and all this stuff. And he's just like, you know, all these companies are like trying to like emulate 1176 or whatever. He's just like, I'm in there like listening and just like tweaking ones and zeros until he gets this. Because he also builds his own gear. He's the guy that's just like, why? I could just build it myself and mod it myself. And he's like that weird scientist, dude. Yeah. Yeah. His software is second to none. He's only got... Three plugins that are out right now? Four. He's got four plugins. Okay. And they are amazing. I can't pimp them enough. They're so dope. <laughs> and so their own thing. All right. Well, based on that
1: recommendation, we'll we'll put a link to Dan's plugins in the show notes as well. And I'll I'll pursue it. Thank you so much for your time and and sharing all this stuff. This is really fascinating. And I knew that I did see a video on Facebook randomly and I watched, I was like, I got to get that dude on the show Yeah, and Alex knew you. So I reached out to Alex and
0: yeah, Alex is my bro. Like we're super close. He's one of, he's like another Dan Korniff to me. He's, he's taught me a lot, even though he might not realize it.
1: Oh, and obviously we'll put Alex's link in the show notes to his episode.
0: Yeah. An audio test kitchen. If you guys don't haven't checked it out, you should check it out. Cause we've got some gnarly stuff coming out. <laughs> oh, that's great.
1: <laughs> well, Hey man, I really appreciate it. And, uh, great to meet you. So thanks again. here on the Working Class Audio podcast. Thanks so much for being here with me today. Appreciate you tuning in week after week. That's all for me today. I want to thank the crew. That includes Anne-Marie Plo in the editing, Cliff Truesdell on the Working Class Audio theme song, and that magical voice that you always hear at the top of the show. Not mine, Chuck's. Chuck Smith, that's right. Connect with me on LinkedIn. Feel free to send me an email, Matt at WorkingClassaudio.com if you have a question. And until next time, take care.